Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today as we do our midweek sermon recap. To look at the message from this past week, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 25. It's going to be a two-part message. We'll finish the rest of it next week together because we just got through verses 17 through through 20. you got to remember that Paul has been talking to Timothy in this chapter about relationships. He talked about like uh, how to deal with older men, older women, younger men, younger women. He talked about widows for a long time, of the church's relationship with widows and the seriousness to which that should be uh, obeyed and honored uh, with the widows. And now with the idea of honor and respect, he changes his tune a little bit, but still dealing with relationships, but the relationships between a church congregation and its pastors. Uh, and so, like I said yesterday, not the not the funnest topic to, to preach on necessarily being a pastor at that time because Paul talks about compensation uh, within that. And so I think it'd be good to ask uh, first to you three, I talked about this a little in the message, but how much money do you think you guys are worth? Oh, boy. <laughs> you're muted, Spencer. Spencer, you're muted. You're muted. You forgot to. That's intentional. Go. I mean, I don't need to say. I don't know. I, no, I guess. Just I, I don't know that you can put a price on us. Really, you know, it's so hard. So hard. Yeah. Sorry. That's. I thought that was a fair question. That's I'll, a fair question. I'll How about that. you? What do you think? Whatever you guys said, I was probably going to double it. Somebody asked <laughs> you that. You said. No, oh, no, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're worth double honor. Yeah, double, yeah, honor. double the double. It says it right there. Double honor. Double. There double. you go. No, but I think uh, some might think it's a weird jump, right, going from the widows to the elder pastor role. But again, you, I think it's bringing everything in because the spotlight a lot of times is on the pastor, and then the widows would be the exact opposite. Those would be people who might be shunned and not even looked at, and so. Paul's taking the widows and saying you need to honor them, and then he's putting them kind of on that same level now with the pastoral with the pastors as well, saying we need to honor them as as well. If we're gonna if we're taking care of our widows and they're coming into the church and serving in the church, and we're taking care of them, we need to do the same for our leadership for the pastors there. And so uh, Paul does speak of that specifically in verses seventeen uh, and eighteen, which I can read here. It says, "Let the elders who rule well." be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Um, so we have this idea of compensation there for the pastors. Uh, this can be abused. I talked about this. Um, one of the, I didn't, it says, let the elders who rule well. Right? That's one way churches could abuse this is they never had a pastor who ruled well, so they're never paying them. That, that would be their out, you know? And it's like, well, you got to define what does this mean? And nobody could ever live up to their expectations, and they do that just to, to not pay somebody, uh, to not take care of them. Uh, pastors abuse this as also uh, of what does it mean to have fair fair pay, you know? Well, for my lifestyle, fair pay has to be $5 million, you know, or whatever you can, you can really abuse that in a lot of different ways. And sadly, we see uh, that happen in in churches. We see money get in the way of that relationship of the pastor and of the congregation, those who he's been called to love and to serve and to care for their for their souls. And so, I I wanted to preface, and I, I said this in the message. I think our church has been fair uh, for me and my family 
the whole time I, I've been here. I don't, I don't have any complaints about that uh, at all. And the reason that this message came is because it's what was next. That's why we get to it. But I do think we need to dive into it and, and look at it the best that we possibly can. And part of that was understanding that this is a struggle in a lot of churches. And Satan will use compensation and pay for pastors to uh, cause strife. As I had mentioned, Satan wants nothing more than to attack leadership, to go to go after leadership, because as the leader goes, so goes the church. And if the leader can fall, then maybe we can make the church fall, right? Mm-hmm. That would be the thought there. And money being one of those sticky issues and something that people care a lot about, uh, it can be abused and it can be something that Satan uses. And so, as I said, some pastors take advantage of this by robbing the church of its money. Uh, they'll do this with poor theology. Uh, they can do this by abusing the scriptures uh, and forcing almost a pay type of thing. I think I think what you see too is you see some pastors taking advantage of this by not working hard. They are getting paid, but they don't actually earn it. They're not they're not putting in their time. They're not caring how they should. They're just skating on by and taking it easy, doing the the least that they can possibly do in order to stay employed where they're at. And that shouldn't be what a pastor does. That also shouldn't be what a Christian employee does. I think we could say that as well in the workplace, mm-hmm. right? You sign a contract and a deal or whatever it is with the company you work for, you should you should work hard for them, right? And and honor that and do a good job in that. And the same goes for for pastors. Um, but amongst pastors, and maybe you guys, you guys have talked to a lot of pastors as well, um, do you, do you find it to be more common for pastors to be well-paid, or do you find it more common to find pastors who uh, kind of struggle? I don't want to say like they're dirt poor, but they find it difficult because uh, they're not making that much money. What do, what do you guys, you three, come across in your, your span of time in, in ministry so far? I don't think I've ever n- known personally a pastor who has said that their church is like intentionally not paying them what they could pay them to help take care of their family. I think more in my experience, I've I've talked to friends who are pastors that they're at a church that simply can't pay them more, right? And so, like, the church, like you mentioned, right, just yeah. isn't big enough, yeah. or the church just isn't capable of offering things like benefits or mm-hmm. retirement or, you know, other things like that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess that would be the only if you could even call it negative, because the church can't help it. They just don't have the money right. to do that. And so, or other situations where like a pastor has gone into a church um, and he was just newly married, but as he's there at the church, he has children, you know, and your standard of living changes when you have children, your needs change, your, you know, finance uh, finances change. And so like what was a sustainable situation is now not a sustainable situation. So I've, I've had friends in situations like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I don't, I've not personally known any, any pastors who've experienced that. I know they're out there. Yeah. Um, cause I've heard those stories, but I've not known any personally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it, it kind of going along with you, what you said, Scott, I think it is, um, it is a struggle. And because you, you said, Tim, in, you know, most churches, average churches are about 50 people or so here in the States. And so I think, there is a kind of that daunting task of, of you know, here's a, a, a lead pastor, you know, who's over his flock, and yet because of 
lack of attendance, lack of giving, you know, lack of, you know, just a faithfulness, whatever, uh, that, that it's a struggle, you know, and sometimes guys have to do bivocational work because like you said, they have kids and they can't make ends meet. Um, sometimes the church will give, maybe give extra love offerings. You know, I, I had a friend who had a parsonage and, uh, then that was helpful, but the salary was like minimal, you know, and he had to work outside and I think he was working in a school or something. But, um, I do, I do think it's a challenge, you know, and nowadays it used to be churches, even like medium to, you know, uh, maybe hundred people or more would give health benefits and so forth. And, um, and now that seems like it's not uh, the case, even in larger churches, they've cut a lot of that, you know? So I do think it's a challenge. I do. Yeah, uh, you guys had mentioned pastors who work other jobs as well. I didn't bring that up in the in the message, but bivocational ministry is a very common uh, practice. Something that you see. Uh, it's usually men who have churches who are smaller. Mm-hmm. The church pays them uh, something, you know, minimal, whatever, whatever it might be. Again, it can it could just be what the church can do, um, and then the pastor has a usually at least from what I've seen, a 40-hour job outside of it. Mm-hmm. Church, the church really just becomes a, a tag-on to that to that job. It's usually not like a part-time job and then this part-time job. At least I haven't come across that too often. Uh, but that is, that's, a, that's a difficult, that's a very difficult uh, ministry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very difficult to serve, uh, to prep, to prepare well for all the teaching and the preaching as well as uh, funerals and weddings and other ministry opportunities that come along, let let alone you know other things that happen uh, within ministry. And so I know there are some who really advocate for bivocational ministry, and I personally am not one of those. I I don't yeah. say it's bad. I, I don't think it's. I understand it. I mm-hmm. understand when that happens, uh, but I think something that we see like here in Timothy mm-hmm. is. If you if you can, you should try to be full time. Then the church should want that for their for their pastor. And I guess that's maybe where at times I've seen uh, pastors maybe a little taken advantage of is they come into the church bivocationally. The church does grow and things are happening, and they could they could become full time, yeah. and it doesn't happen. Yeah, I have seen that happen. Yeah, yeah me too. And the excuse usually it. is, well, that'll take away from ministry, you know, or that'll take away from this and that, and. Um, Maybe, you know, again, I don't know. I haven't been in that in that spot, so I don't want to judge too much. But um, I think what that what I've heard with the bivocational ministry is they use Paul as their example. And yeah. as I mentioned in the in the in the sermon, this this passage correlates with First uh, Corinthians chapter nine. And in First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul does talk about how he never took anything. But in that passage as well, he is explaining how, again, pastors should be compensated in that his role as an apostle is different than the pastoral apostleship. He was going out something brand new, something, and he didn't want anything in the way at all of the gospel message. He wanted that to go up so it can be seen. This is free. This isn't something you pay for. This is free. So his... His task was different. So I don't know if we can look straight to Paul mm-hmm. in his life and his ministry as the example to set for something like bivocational mm-hmm. ministry. Now, I know that's something you grew up in, right, Spencer? Your dad's been... <clears throat> My dad did both. Okay. He's done both. He was okay. full-time and he's also been by bi- He's been bivocational probably I mean, most of his ministry now, but he was full-time. Okay. 
but I remember, um, and so like we lived in the parsonage, um, and I think part of it too wasn't, I don't know that it's, um, ill motives on the part of church members, but maybe it's just misunderstandings of, um, I think part of it was just misunderstandings of how, um, because sometimes, sometimes people like my dad always talked about this whenever he was, you know, a full-time pastor, people would look at his whole package and they would say, well, boy, I wish I could get that. I'll just get myself a Bible and do that. But they don't realize how the package, at least for my dad, whenever he was, he was in a parsonage, they didn't realize how that all broke down, how taxes work, how, mm-hmm. um, and also like the lack of benefits, you know, benefits, insurance, all that stuff. Um, my dad said, you know, going now, he, he, he's worked, he works full time for a, for a, a, a gas welding supply company. And he said one time they sent out a, 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 a report or something saying this company did saying, this is how much it costs us to have you as an employee. And so what they were trying to say is this is what we pay you for salary, but this is also what it costs us as a company to pay your benefits, to pay everything for you. Yeah, and dad said, yeah. dad said that was really helpful because he said, I've worked in churches for so long and just people don't, I think people just don't understand what, you know, for instance, if they're employed by a company, they don't realize actually how much financially that company is invested in them as an employee apart from their salary. And so I think sometimes there's just a misunderstanding on people's part of, 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 um, I'm not, and again, I agree with what you're saying, Tim. That's not, I don't think that's our church, but I do think there are churches that, mm-hmm. that, that ha- just have a misunderstanding of how, um, because most of them are not employers. Most of them are just, you know, they, they work for somebody else. They don't understand how it, how um, benefits and all of that stuff actually works to, to compensate um, somebody. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. My dad has been bivocational most of his career and, it works really well for his uh, uh, personality and his skill set um, to do that, and also his his um, his job is flexible enough to where, like you know, if he needs to do a funeral or whatever, he can adjust that mm-hmm. to do those things. Um, so I don't know. I think there's um, it's it's worked well for him, but I know that he's also talked about how. I think there's there's just challenges. I remember one of them. We were whenever he was full time. I think it was kind of an issue because he took up um, driving a school bus on the side uh, to make extra money, and I think that was kind of an issue for some people. Right? Oh yeah, I bet. because why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was, you know, was was um, started doing that, and I think that was that was a little bit of an issue as why are you making extra income on the side? Um, and so I think that was just a, a challenge. To right. have to to have to work through yeah. with the church, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, just real quick on that. I think like the, my previous church, you know, coming in, I was hired in by vocationally, and the church grew and uh, and it it became self sustainable as far as like my my salary and stuff. But there was a mindset because the previous pastors had been Ford employees. Um, they're, they, they were, they had worked and then they retired and then their kids were grown and then they started pastoring the church. And I was the first pastor who had a young family and, uh, who was coming into this full time. And yet there's a few deacons that were like, Hey, we're going to make, make this happen, you know, cause uh, we want Dave to be able to be fully present here. But there were some of the older folks that really pushed back on that because culturally 
that's all they knew. It was bivocational. They worked factory jobs. They worked, you know, auto, auto industry jobs. And then they, they just did this on the side. And uh, it, it, there was a little bit of a pushback um, on that, which I thought was really interesting because I had never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think there's a misunderstanding because, well, we've always done it this way. So even as the church grew and it was self-sustainable as far as my, my, my income goes, sure. it was still this mentality. Well, you, you know, we only can pay you this much. And, what, and it's like, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. So sure, sure. a little interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is where I think it, it just gets awkward for us. We're four pastors at a, at a church talking about compensation. But mm-hmm. um, I do think it's important for us to understand in our, our church family to understand what Scripture says about that. Because I, that's why I went to Hebrews. I went to Hebrews 13, verse 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as one who will have to give an account. And that is a task that pastors have been called to is to care for the souls of the people that God puts under them. And I know for me, if if I know that God has put somebody over me to care for my soul, I want that person to do a good job, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It'd be the same as like when I'm going to go under the knife for a doctor, I want a good one. I don't want a bad one. I don't want one who just thinks about this job a little bit. There's a podcast about this. Oh, really? Dr. Death. Dallas, yeah. Okay. Oh boy. You guys ever heard that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Is it a good one it. to endorse? Because you're endorsing it right now. I've watched a, a, a series, a TV series about him. Uh, yeah. Anyway, look him up. Dr. Death in Dallas. Okay. Like we should go to him? No, he's in oh. prison right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's in jail. Oh, he, might Death. <laughs> he might be cheap. He might be cheap. He's in jail. He's definitely cheap. He's probably not doing surgeries right now. Anyway. But I think that the role of pastor has just been so watered down in people's minds that they don't Mm -hmm. think of it that way. You know, you're just a guy who's up there to give some advice. You're the guy who we're going to call if one of our kids are going to get married potentially. Um, Or if somebody dies, we might need you then. But the rest of it, I, I can, I can worry about my soul myself. You know, that that's up to me. I can go to different churches. I can nowadays, I can just watch the computer. I can watch the TV there's all kinds of things that I can do to care for my soul. There's so many options, uh, but that's not a biblical stance. The Bible says, no, you are to be in a church where there is pastoral leadership and care for you because they are the ones tasked to watch over your soul and they will be judged for that as well. And so I, I, I say that to the congregation so that they will understand that. But I also say that out loud with the understanding that us four need to understand that that is our task for the membership here and for the people who are here with us and that we then need to take that seriously. And that's why I, I'm comfortable saying, I think being a pastor is a very important job. I see it as a hugely important job and I don't want to water down uh, what we talk about on this podcast quite a bit with like vocation and the importance of it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to water that down at all. I think it's important what people do. Those who, go and work in the schools and work at the auto factories and all this stuff. That is that is important work that God has given them to do, and they should go do that well. But I take the job that I have been given as a pastor and what it seems scripturally as very serious because when I worked at Ford, I wasn't caring for anybody's soul. I was just making sure I wasn't putting the part on wrong. you know. Uh, and so I find that to be a difficult task, and I think a pastor that's worth anything 
will take that very seriously and they will work hard towards it. And so that means, which gets to our our next point kind of, that means at times you're going to ruffle feathers because as you care for people's soul, they're not always going to like it. And so that's why Paul goes on in verse 19 to talk about protection for the pastors, where he says there has to be two or three witnesses if there's going to be a charge brought up against a pastor. And that's, again, to protect them because there are difficult conversations that need to be had. Right? There's times when you have to look a brother or sister in the Lord in the face and say, what in the world are you doing? That's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, the way you're acting is not proper. And sometimes <laughs> the way that the response is is, who are you? It's not, oh, thank you for pointing out this fault of mine. I can't wait to adjust my lifestyle so that now I fit in. But it, that doesn't happen too often. And so, sadly, uh, pastors get brunt of people's anger at time because sometimes for those reasons, but sometimes for our own faults because we we fail a family. We, whatever whatever that might be, you know, we, we say the wrong thing or our anger kicks in, you know, or our selfishness or our jealousy or <clears throat> whatever it might be could kick in. And then the next thing you know, I've said something wrong or I've done something wrong or I haven't been as loving or as kind or as patient as I should be. And oftentimes because tensions are high because, again, when pastors are called in, usually it's at very tense situations, then it, it bubbles over. And so Paul talks here about some protection for the pastor uh, that if they need to be rebuked, he says that in verse twenty, they need to be rebuked, and they need to be it needs to be done publicly. Uh, but you have to be careful, I think, in rebuking them to make sure that this is this is this is true, right? Um, something I had mentioned in the message, which is sad, is you'll see a guy who's pastored a church for twenty years, loved the church for twenty years, right? Cared for all these people, done weddings, done funerals, and all this stuff, and then. He misses something, right, of somebody's. And all of a sudden, that family is furious. And you got like a group of 20 people in the church all furious at this pastor who has loved them very well for 20 years, but all because of one thing. Now they're thinking, seriously, maybe we should leave the church. And it's like, what is happening? You know, and that's, that's sad. That is a, a sad thing, I think, to, to see and to witness because that doesn't demonstrate, I think, the love that God has designed for us as church family between pastors and congregation and the whole family dynamic that, that it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I get stuck on that stuff because I live in that. I've experienced that. I, I understand the hurt of that. Maybe people in the congregation, as I say stuff like that is like, man, will you just stop already? already? Uh, because it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen of where pastors can get attacked. I've, I've seen it. I've been a part of that. I've experienced that simply just for misunderstandings. And all of a sudden you start hearing things out in the community. You know, like I, I think we mentioned it on here. It wasn't too long ago. I had heard out in the community. Uh, yeah. The new pastors at Renormation Baptist Church, they will not visit anybody. And I was like, what? You know, like, well, how did that happen? You know, I, I don't even know where this came from. It's like that. No, that's not true. We we do that, you know. We do that the best that we can. We might not be perfect at it, but we do try to try to do that. But that was just some voice out there, right, saying something and all of a sudden it gets back to us and I'm human. And so for me, that's like a gut punch and it's just like, what in the world? I'm really trying. I really think I am trying anyways. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so that's hurtful. And it would be easy if it wasn't two or three witnesses, it'd be easy to constantly be lobbing complaints at the pastor at the pastors. Um, but Paul tries to give some protection here uh, to Timothy saying, cause I, we already know yeah. Timothy was hearing things right about his age and sure. different things. So, well, I think too, it's, it's helpful to, <clears throat> there's also a sense of um, formality, the feel in verse 19. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard before, um, I think it was actually at a, at one of the basics conferences that I wasn't there for. Um, there was a, was it, was it Robertson? He's from Scotland. Um, I wasn't at that one. Yeah. I forget what his first name is. Dave, is it David Robinson? Robertson? That's a basketball player. Robertson? David, David Robinson. Robinson. <laughs> David Robertson. Yeah, yeah. I his name. Anyway, but one of the things he was saying was, is um, in, in their church structure, you can, as a, in a, which is like the a Presbyterian structure, you can lodge a formal complaint. In other words, you can file, there's, a, there's an actual process that if you have a problem with somebody, you can, you know, you can file a formal complaint and it will begin the process. And I'm just saying there is a sense of formality in verse 19 of receiving an accusation on the basis of two or three witnesses to where it's very easy to, um, <clears throat> to gossip. But then it's, it's saying, okay, if you really think that's an issue, you need to get two or three people and begin a formal process within appropriate church protocol to, to, if you really think, because what often you find is people really don't want to do that because they actually realize how foolish it is, or they don't believe it themselves, mm. or they, they don't, they, um, uh, oftentimes you, you realize the, the, they, they even realize how silly some of the stuff is. So I think there is an appropriate level of saying, if you've got a real problem with this, have you actually one-on-one gone and talked to the pastor about that? And then second of all, if you don't feel like you've been heard well, have you gone and gotten two or three others? You're seeing the Matthew 18 process, I think, play out in some ways. Have you gone then and gone and talked to him? Because only then and, and then only can you begin to, as they say in verse 19, receive an accusation and to see whether or not it's even valid. But there's a reason why that process is in place is because sometimes the process eliminates um, really small or meaningless accusations. And so it's very easy on the one hand, like, like you mentioned, Tim, the rumor that could be out there of, well, they don't do X, Y, or Z. Well, if that is really a problem, why didn't that individual or who's ever, I don't know where that, that came from. If somebody did have that concern, you should bring that to your pastor or to um, some elected representative of the church, you know, one of your, I mean, that should be your pastor. And then if you don't feel like you've been heard, you should, you, you should go bring another person or another or two other people with you to go through that process. But that's, that takes work. That actually, you know, takes conviction, I think. And so there's even the, there's a, 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 a verification process of going through this in order to even see, is this even something we need to, is, is this even serious? Because oftentimes people, people will just fall off, I think, um, because, because they don't want to go through that, right. that process. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, like you said, there is that process because we <clears throat> see in verse 20 that correction does need yes. to take place yeah. uh, when it is appropriate. Right. So when complaint is issued, and it is true, there is a rebuking that needs to happen. And what's interesting about the rebuking that Paul talks about in verse 20 is he says it needs to be done publicly, mm-hmm. right? It's not behind uh, closed doors, but it's a public a public matter here. 
why do you guys why would you guys say that Paul says this? Why does it need to be done publicly? Seems embarrassing. I think you you did a good job of laying out um, in your sermon that the work of a pastor is a public ministry in that sense of it's it's a big deal. Like if a pastor is caught in unrepentant sin, um, that if somebody's come to him and then a couple people have come to him and that's not that's not um, done anything, like the next step of that process, as Spencer was talking from Matthew 18, is, you know, you're a representative of the church, you know, and as goes the pastor, so goes the church, so to speak. And so, and um, he even references there so that the rest may stand in fear. Um, and so it's, it's like a public warning to the other pastors, whether that would be other pastors in town, like you reference, like we see in the news all the time of pastors who have fallen morally, or through whatever other means, and that strikes fear, you know, in my heart, right? Because, like, I know I'm, I'm capable of some pretty terrible stuff, mm-hmm. right? I'm not perfect, and, and so it just causes fear to happen, which is, is a weird thing to think. We don't often think that you should fear, right? We, we try to speak against that, but fear can be actually very helpful at times, and uh, so I think those are some reasons. Um, I think also there's something to what you were just explaining, Spencer, of it's very easy to gossip and to spread rumors or like you referenced in your sermon, Tim, to come to someone and say, hey, people are saying, when actually it's really just you saying or your close friend and you saying. But there's something, you, there's a level of commitment on that person if they bring a charge publicly because now they're on the chopping block too of if there isn't actually evidence for this, then they're the ones who are going to look foolish. Or if this is really just a personality issue, it's not worth bringing up, well, you'll bring it up in private to people that you're close with, people that you know will agree with you. But if you bring it up in public, you you know that it's really not worth bringing up. Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, so I think that sure. has some, some to do with it as well. Yeah, I definitely think that you see if, if something is um – and I think there's a there's something in the Old Testament, I forget where it would be at, but like if you um, made a false accusation, you said Jimbo here. Because um, that's a common Israelite name. Yes. It's one of the tribes yes. of Israel, Jimbo. James Boaz. <laughs> James Boaz. Um, <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you had made an accusation against somebody that was going to potentially lead them to, um, you, know, you know, if you falsely accused them of murder, the punishment would have been execution. If you knowingly make that as a false accusation, you get the punishment that would have come to them Mm -hmm. because you have intentionally tried to lead about that person to be executed. And what I'm saying is, is yes, where we're saying is, is if something is true and it needs to, and there's unrepentance and it needs to be dealt with it publicly, the pastor should be rebuked. But then also there's a level, like you said, it's got of commitment on the other side of, if you if you progress in this other way, and but if you're intentionally doing it um, just um, you know to, to harm the church or the pastor, you're responsible in front of the whole church too. So there's the, that process is there to safeguard everybody mm-hmm. um, to pursue truth. And I don't think that it's always a motive of like you're wanting to harm the church or the pastor. I think sometimes people, when it comes to things like gossip, is it's really just they want to vent. Sure. Right? They just sure. like talking about things that bother them. Sure. And, um, and that's, but that's something that causes disunity in a church. It, that's why gossip is so very serious, one of the reasons at least. And yeah. um, 
but yeah, I don't think people who do this always have a um, a nefarious motive behind it. It just feels natural to talk about things I'm unhappy about with people that they know agree with them. All right, we all fall into that. Um, but yeah, like if you actually step back and ask yourself the question, is this something that bothers me enough to bring yeah, it up publicly? Sure. Am I willing to publicly say this? Is it really a sin? Is it really an issue like that? That's a that's a different level, mm-hmm. right? And probably something that should be brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important about how we talk about the church as family, <clears throat> and that was brought up in the message. Yeah, uh, because again, we're not like a family, as I think we talked about that in a podcast or something mm-hmm. not too long ago. You did, <clears throat> but we are we are family, and so we try to. There's think, a song. There's we a song. Are we are. Is that a Christian family? Song? Is that by Willie Nelson again? Is that? No, no, no. Well, that that's a song though. You know, you know that I song? know that song. Yeah. yeah. Who sings it? I don't know. All my brothers, sisters, and me. Is that a Mo- is that a Motown hit? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. We are. Yeah, that's a really fun song to dance to. We could play yeah, that as you good on stage next Sunday. I guess. Um, if you guys you know, want to do intro everybody music. instead, you know what we could do? We could, could bring be. back, we could bring back the welcome, the handshaking <laughs> thing and just play that. And be like, you know, everyone's going around, shake hands. We, uh, every, every new person is like, Sister I don't want to be part Sledge. of this family. Sister Sledge. Is it That's gotta one? be a remake. Really? Uh, I don't know. Sister Man. Sledge. We are family. Yeah. That's disco. Pretty, it's pretty sweet. Anyway, it's a pretty sweet song. Something to think about. Yeah. I don't know what I was saying. We're family. We're family. So accusations. We're oh. family. But right. when you think about how you try to handle things within your own family, mm-hmm. uh, is is very similar to how we should handle things in in the church, right? right. Is like one of my kids is saying that their brother or sister is hitting them. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that all the, all the time. I need more. I, I need one or two <laughs> witnesses. Often, you know what I mean. It's like, okay, we got to figure this out. Or if one of our family members is frustrating us and doing something just silly. Uh, we're going to talk about that, but I'm not going to kick them out. Mm-hmm. It'd have to get really bad before that happens. You know, like if your kid has a drug problem, eventually you might have to kick them out. That hard love thing of where you have to cut them off because it's not helping, you know, but that's probably going to be way down the road. You're going to love on them and try to care for them and try to help them. And you're going to go through all kinds of bad situations to be there for them. Cause that's your child and that's your family. Right, and you care for each other, and uh, in the church, it's it should be the same. We care for each other, and even more so than the fact that we're we're blood related. We've been bought with Christ's blood. That's much bigger than just being family. We, you know, and God has brought us together, and He's He's told us in His Word that when you have joy, I should have joy, and when you have burdens, I should share in those burdens and those cares, and we're to pray for each other. Um, and so there's there's all this benefit of being a part of this family, uh, but sadly, just what I see is people too quick are running. They're they're we just act like everything should be perfect in everybody's life, and we don't take the time to look within our own life and say, "I messed up. I messed up." Like for me, I get so frustrated when the light turns green and people don't go. It ticks me off. I'm like behind them. I'm like, "You have one task. Go," right? But then when it's me. When I'm at the light... And I'm looking at my phone. Exactly. No, (laughs) you're right. When I'm doing something, I'm mad because they're mad at me. 
And it's like, show me a little bit of grace. Yes, you have to. <laughs> and so what you should do. Why are you in such a hurry? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going the speed limit. <laughs> but what people do is I don't think we think through that and realize that even about ourselves. And sadly, we carry that into the church. Hmm. And we act like everybody in here should be perfect. And don't look at my problems. I just get to sit here and look at yours. And in fact, if I don't like it, I'm just going to bounce. And I just, it frustrates me because I don't think it should be that way. I don't, it, and this isn't just our church. When I talk to pastors, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. People leave churches all the time mm-hmm. for numerous reasons. What, and it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. There, there's very few good reasons to leave a church. Because as I had mentioned in the thing, it is a separation. It is a divorce that is taking place. And it sadly in our culture divorce isn't a big deal anymore either it's like oh i don't really like you i'm i'm gone okay we're gone and i was gonna say this might start to cut you off but like the thinking about you know the way you deal with things in your own family i think unfortunately like the example you were giving of more like an immediate family i can think i mean of immediate family yeah. yeah it's like because we'll get rid of an uncle real quick yeah well i can <laughs> i can think of it's like at least in my own experience in my own family unfortunately like there's definitely times where conflict within the family and the extended family and cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and all that it's dealt with the same way right if there's the issues never actually brought up it's more just ignored and tolerated and talked about behind everybody else's back you know of this side of the family and this side of the family and you know you just learn to deal with the issues but and the difference with the church is when you handle stuff like that like you said you can leave Right, you only have one blood family, and sometimes you just get to the point where you start to say, "Well, I don't really want to go to that, you know, holiday gathering there because I don't like those people anymore." Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, people deal with the church the same way they deal with their own family a lot of times. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah, yeah, that that very well could be right. And it's just, it's just sad because we're supposed to be coming together, we're covenanting together, and in that, we're promising to love each other, right, and to be there for each other. And I understand in a bigger church, we don't know everybody all the time. We don't know all the situations, but sometimes that's just our fault. We're not investing. We're not trying to get to know each other. We're not trying to care uh, for one another at all. Um, But other times it's just because of the size you're not going to. But you should know a segment of the people within the church, and maybe it's just the people you sit around or or whatever, Uh, but to, to be there for them and and to understand that you guys have a relationship. And so when you're not there, it hurts them. When they're not there, and I say hurt, I just mean like you miss them because you, you care about them and you you want to see them. Um, and it just seems like a lot of that is is lost. We've, we as individuals have taken this, this uh, idea that we can care for ourselves when Scripture's clear. It's like, no, you can't. You need a pastor to care for your soul, to preach to you, to share with you the Word of God. It's not something you can do on your own. And you need a family. You need your church family to support you. And I've just I've just seen that heartbreak, not even at this church, but at other another church that I was a part of, where a family was immensely loved on. I mean, financially, emotionally, just loved on. And something very small happened and they left. And that the church was heartbroken. Just completely heartbroken. Um and it was it was hard to get past, you know, it was, it was just so difficult to get past. Um, and it should be hard to get past something like that. But I just feel today it's like, hmm, you know, 
I like that building better. Yeah. I like what they have <laughs> for the kids. I like this music. I like the way that guy talks. I like this guy, this style. And none of those are like good reasons. Mm-hmm. None of those yeah. are good reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think we have to be, to be careful with that. And again, I know we've chased a little rabbit here, but pastors usually can be a sticking point with a lot of people, you know, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. There's pastors I like to listen to. Um, but what I would like to think is if I was in a town and I was going to a church and it was a faithful church and the pastor was faithfully preaching to me the word of God and he was, he was loving me that I could get past the fact that he's monotone or whatever right. it might be mm-hmm. because he is being faithful mm-hmm. and he is caring. And so I thank God that he's given me that, right? I, I would hope I could be like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't been in that position a long time, uh, but that's what I would pray and hope that I would, I would be like, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's almost like people are even like looking for something. There's this attitude like, okay, if there's one thing, then I'm gone. You know, it's like people come into jobs like that. They come into marriages like that and they come into church like that. And that is just a unfortunate, like, pandemic in our culture this whole entitlement idea like you know one thing that rubs me wrong i'm out loyalty's gone commitment is waned you know it's just what it is in our day and age yeah i mean people stick to sports teams more than churches yeah that's true (laughs) i mean i have friends who root for the lakers now and that is like beyond Mm -hmm. evil in my opinion (laughs) but they do it because of one person on the team you know Mm -hmm. they let all the bad stuff go to like the one thing i know that's just like a little side thing but how I mean, it would. There are some people. It would take. I don't know what it would take to get them to say, "I'm not a Michigan fan anymore." I, I don't know. I would like to say it would take somebody on the team killing somebody, but that probably happened. <laughs> For you know, I mean, it, I don't know what it would take. You mm-hmm. know, to say, I don't like the Dallas Cowboys anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they are willing to let so many things. I mean, we could say it as Lions fans. We haven't saw victory in forever. Mm-hmm. But yet you'll have these diehards who just won't let it go. But like you said, sadly, within the church, all all it needs is one slip up and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Yep. You know, or <laughs> like you said, Scott, family too. Just one little thing, and I'm I'm gonna leave. I, I'll go find new friends. I'll go find new family. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But we just don't we don't see that scripturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, for sure. Yeah, and we you know we've talked a lot about what can be wrong with, with people and the members in the church. And I think um, there's also a place where we have to ask the question of, like, are there things that pastors do that, you know, because we mentioned the idea of, like, if there's some, if you have an issue, go and talk to you, go and talk to your pastor, go and bring mm-hmm. it up to them. <clears throat> and I think that, like, it are, I guess the question running through my mind is, are there reasons outside of issues with the people yeah. Why people wouldn't do that. Like, are there things that we as pastors do that make us unapproachable, right? Or things like that. Like, are, and I think that a lot of times people might maybe bad experiences at churches, right? Or the church they went to growing up. Um, I think there's definitely things that pastors can do to make it hard for people to approach them with things like that. Yeah. I think sometimes people leave quietly because they don't want to ruffle feathers. You know what I mean? They, they think they're doing it the right way. Um, but no, I mean, I think, yeah, to me, it's easy to get a hold of me. I have an email. Uh, I think it's on the church website. I don't know. Our website's not the greatest right now. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not on there. Uh, calling the church. Um, 
I know sometimes it can be hard to like catch us on Sunday mornings. That's not the best time to catch us. Uh, but like Sunday evenings, we're all around talking usually. Wednesdays, try to be as approachable as possible. Um, but I think email is like the best way where you can type out your thoughts and see it. Um, but I mean, and, and for me, it would be something, could be something small. It could be something big. I mean, I think rebuking somebody needs to be a, a sin issue, right? Not a preference issue. <laughs> I don't want to rebuke broke somebody because of they like the color red and I don't or something. Uh, but it needs to be something more serious. The other thing I would say is what we have here is we do have deacons here. And if it feels like the pastors are unapproachable, maybe you, they could go to a deacon who then would bring it up to us to try to try to figure it out. But I would, I would also urge to never do it anonymously. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't listen to, and yeah. I know you don't either. Right. Anonymous complaints. Yeah. Right. They just go to the trash. Yeah. Um, just because again, we, we are, we're, we're family. And so I want to know who it is, not so I can be mad at you, but so that I could help, you know? So if the complaint, you know, not even a complaint, just even if it's just like, I was just wondering, uh, why, why don't we have a choir all the time? Mm -hmm. I would love to answer that question with somebody Mm one-on-one because there actually are reasons beyond our control and maybe some within our control that we could discuss to see why that is, mm-hmm. you know, why that takes place. Or any other decision that's made could really try to talk through that with, with somebody. Uh, I I have found those conversations normally to be pretty pleasant with people mm-hmm. when they do come. Yeah. doesn't turn into a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, the people don't always like the answer maybe, but at least they get the, get the answer. Uh, and so I do think pastors can be on the fault, you know, like you're talking about. It's not just members. It's, it's us too. Like we said, we are sinners. I get angry. I get hurt. I get jealous. I get frustrated. And so one, I think one reason I feel, I probably feel standoffish to people is I like to process stuff a little more before I would say stuff. And so I don't even want to give opportunity for something to be said because I'm afraid I won't process and then I'm going to regret what I said, you know, when I, and so, uh, that's why email I like, because I can read it. Uh, I can think through my response. I've, I've, I've typed out emails before and then erased them all. Cause I'm like, that just is <laughs> the jerk coming out. Mm-hmm. Boom. Get rid of that. I got to rewrite this. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's all members. It's, it's pastorally too, you know, I've met plenty of pastors that I walked away from those conversations thinking, I feel bad for his congregation. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's not just the matter of can they get a hold of us, right, with our phone number or email or church office or whatever. It's also do I feel like I'm going to be heard in this conversation, sure. yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. And not even – Validated. Yeah, not a, that doesn't mean, like you said, that anything's going to change or, mm-hmm. right, it might be a misunderstanding that has to be recommunicated, but – most of the time, people just want to know they're going to be heard, right, yep. if they do bring something up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we as pastors have to make sure that we're always approachable in that sense and willing to listen to people and be patient. And I found even a lot of times people are very okay with us saying, you know, I'm not so sure. Let me think about it for a little bit, 
you know, and then and then circle back around, right? And so, I just think, like, in this midst of this conversation, that's what I'm thinking of as well. Of like, what do I, what do I do to make that process hard on people? And also knowing that a lot of people do come from church backgrounds that were very authoritarian, and if you speak anything against the pastor, you're basically out. Or like whatever ministry you were running, you're not allowed to run it anymore. You treat it as a black sheep, right? And so that that happens. And yeah, that's a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is where I think we need to make sure that we are working together, pastorally, members in the congregation, deacons, staff, all that stuff, uh, and doing it as a family with the family mindset of like of growing together. You know, you think about as a parent, you treat your first kid different than your fourth kid. And the reason for that is with your fourth kid, you're a little smarter. And, and you, you don't ha- care anymore. Yeah. You also <laughs> try, you're a lot more tired. Yeah, whatever. But you know what I mean is like, <laughs> I, I've learned things, you know, and so usually with the first kid, what you see is you see a lot of law and a lot of rules at times. And that usually starts to ease but part of that is because you've wised up to realize I can't break them with the law. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there is some of that. And it's the same. I think here is you have a, you have a pastor that you're going to grow with and he has work to do and you have work to do. And so you guys, you, you do that together. And mm-hmm. so people who I pastored when I was 26 I'm sorry. Like I probably wasn't that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so people who I get to pastor, you know, if God allows when I've been doing this for 35 years, maybe they'll have a better experience than the person with the first, but it's cause we're all just kind of, of growing together. And so the members in our congregation who are more mature than me and wiser than me, hopefully they will still love me because they're more mature than me and will give me grace and, you know, the people who aren't will hopefully grow with me and I'd be able to share with them and they can grow. Right. And we just, we do that together, but we do that realizing we're, we're in Christ together. That's why we do Lord's supper together often to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And he's put us here together to honor him and to glorify him. And listen, I I wish I, I need to say this probably all the time. Church is not complicated. This, this whole church stuff is not a complicated thing. We get together, <clears throat> we do some singing, we give right to the church, we worship together, we hear his word preached, we can gather together in small groups and go to Bible studies, you know, we can do things for our kids, that's all good and fine, but it doesn't need to be complicated. It's it's pretty easy. I found working in youth ministry, kind of close with this, and I think Scott realizes this too, but... When I made things complicated in youth ministry, the kids hated it. Mm. When I kept it simple, they loved it. And I don't mean like biblical teaching. I'm talking about the fun things. When I tried to make something fun and it took a ton of work, it flopped. Because I wasn't focused, I think, on what was the real thing is these kids just want to be together. They just kind of want to hang out together and know they're in a safe place, know that people care for them, and they'll be happy when you do that. It's the same with our church. We get together, we care for each other, we love each other, we hear the word of God preached, we let, we know we have God working in our lives, growing us. That's what this is. We don't need to complicate it. 
much more because when we do that is when I think people start to get frustrated and nitpicky and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so hopefully God will allow us here at MMBC to, to grow together. You guys got anything else? No? All right, next week we'll finish this, uh, this section, um, hopefully, Lord willing. And so we hope to, to see you this coming Sunday. Uh, but until then, we hope that you have a great week. God bless.